Welcome to the TPH Podcast. This is episode number 16. I'm your host, Wade Chandler. Joining me, as always, is Jonathan Fitzgerald. Sir Jonathan Fitzgerald. Today, we're going to diverge. No, that's not the right word. Kind of go off the path of predator hunting, and we're going to talk about whitetail hunting. Today, we have Jordan. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I'm going to leave it out. He was with his brother here in the studio on episode one and I just went blank 11, <laughs> but Jordan does some whitetail management stuff. So we got him in the studio here and we're going to talk about some whitetail hunting. So let's get into where you grew up. I uh, grew up in between Bront and Blackwell, Bront about 30 miles North of San Angelo. Uh, my par- my mom and stepdad actually owned a lake house out there on Oak Creek. So that's where I grew up. And then about 10 minutes from the house, my parents owned a 5,000 acre game ranch. And so growing up, we were always either on the lake or out at the ranch, all my buddies, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we were just always doing something, riding dirt bikes, fishing, whatever, you know. So yeah. But yeah, I'm from Bront. So went to high school there and all that. <clears throat> yep. Graduated from there. So when you graduated, what was the goal then? Partying? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My first semester of college was terrible. I was. Almost failed out of college. But uh, now I went to Angelo State, uh, moved in with one of my best friends my first year, and uh, we had a roommate. And uh, I got my degree in range and wildlife management. They didn't offer just wildlife because that's what I was going to get my major in, but range, uh, range and wildlife management is what I got my degree in. <clears throat> and then my uh, junior to senior year, summer i took an internship uh out at the four end ranch i don't know if you know where the four ends at but Mm-mm. it's like four thousand acres high fence place and anyways i took a i did an internship out there for a little bit before i went full-time in the in the deer breeding breeding facilities yeah but growing up my dad uh he ran a big low fence ranch down in south texas in between Brackettville and Eagle Pass, mm. the Burr Ranch. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I believe Work, I have. Worked for Bobby Patton. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, that's kind of where I get my background on whitetail. was from my dad growing up, you know. But uh, So anyways, he, he ran that big ranch down south, and it was all low-fence stuff. Yeah. I mean, big, big deer running around yeah. down there down south. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how many 170-inch deer you go down there and see. Anywhere from 170 to 200. I mean, yeah. they're just just big free range deer. But I did a, I did that. I went out every summer, worked with my dad, and before and then in college, like I said, back to intern, I did the breeding facility thing just to do something different, just to learn a little bit about the breeding part of it and, and the pins. And it was neat and all, but it just, man, it wasn't for me. Like, right. I mean, it was cool looking at. 220 inch deer every day but something about growing them naturally is just right i love it man just yeah. big low fence native deer yeah and so that's, that's the day i graduated college and the very next day i get a phone call kind of out of the blue from my boss now uh tuffy wood and he said hey man he goes how, how are things going out the four end and I kind of told him my situation, what was going on. And he said, well, we got an opening out here. If you want to come in for an interview, 
I said, yeah, absolutely. And anyways, I went and interviewed later that week, and the very next week, I've been out there ever since, out of, out of the bar now where I'm at now. How long is that? Uh, I'm going on six years. So, uh, backing back up to college, so you got a degree in ranch and wildlife? Uh, range and wildlife, yep. So, what what does that consist of? Like, what are the, I guess, the subjects you learn and all that stuff? A lot of it was, like, plants and, of course, range management, ranch management, uh, wildlife classes. Like I said, I wanted to I wanted to get be a wildlife certified wildlife biologist. Mm-hmm. I, I, unfortunately, I can't because you got to I sh- I needed more wildlife classes to do that and biology. And biology was not my strong suit in college. Right. I took two of those classes. I passed them, but man, they were hard. Yeah. Took a lot of chemistry for I don't know why you had to have chemistry for <laughs> what I'm doing now, but whatever. Uh but yeah, just uh what else? Animal anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, then just a bunch of ag classes, you know, welding meats, just random stuff like that. But mostly wildlife and ranch management was kind of what I focused on and majored in. So as far as like the, the plant side of things, God, here I am not even falling on bros. <laughs> as far as the plant side of things, how has that helped you or has it helped you? Yeah, a little bit. I mean a lot of the plant side of it like you had to know the scientific name the common name what tribe it was in all this stuff that you really didn't need i mean at the end of the day you just needed to identify how this is blue stem or whatever it might have been you didn't have to have all the other stuff but it was very helpful on especially around this area because all the plants that were learned out at the angel state ranch i heard the same stuff out at the ranch i'm at now Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's nice kind of being able to identify so you know a lot of the browse and what we have out there it's nice to know what is exactly yeah. in the pasture yeah do i remember every single plant i learned no but i'm the main stuff the majority of it the important i do one. yeah the important stuff i remember it because that's you know that's something especially out here which i don't know how much different it is where you are at especially out here it's you kind of need to know that stuff because that that's one thing that one of the main things I see people who hunt out here and stuff like that, it goes overlooked mm-hmm. that's browsing, you know, natural vegetation and all that stuff. That's something I would, I would like to get into a little bit more. No, you know, I kind of know through talking to a lot of the locals and just watching the deer, mm-hmm. see what they like to eat and what they're going to eat on right. and stuff. Right. But as far as, you know, would you say that was probably like the best part of it? Or would, was there something else that really stuck out in your mind? As far as the college classes? Yeah, like a, that kind of transferred into what you're doing now. Like, was there anything that really sticks out in your mind? Like, man, I'm really glad I learned that. Yeah, I mean, definitely plants was one of them. Now, in high school, I also did wildlife judge in high school. We went to state and plants was part of that. It was a big part of plant identification was a big part of the contest. So going into college, I already knew a lot of those plants. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was nice to know some of that stuff. My, my, uh, probably what pertained most to me was our wildlife classes and the, 
maybe the brush part of it as a, as in like managing brush, right. how important it is as a, as far as it is for your whitetail herd. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, I wish in call, and I'm not, t- I'm taking anything away from professors or anything, but I wish we'd have been more hands-on with like aging and scoring, which we didn't do a whole lot of it. Surprisingly, it was more, like I said, habitat, habitat management stuff. Yeah. But more of the stuff that you need to know in the field, right. if that makes sense. But right. my dad taught me all that stuff growing up, you know, and I can, especially now that I've been guiding for a while, I've been guiding since I was in high school. Yeah. Um, shoot, I can get you within three or four inches of what the deer's going to score on the hoof, you know. Yeah. I mean, not to brag, but you yeah. get good at it when you yeah. look at them, a thousand of them yeah. a year, you know what I mean? 100%, yeah. So, you know, moving on from college, and then you got the job with the place you are now starting out what do they start you on as is it same job you have now or did you have to work your way up to anything or no it was it was what i am now uh so my title is the wildlife manager um basically so me tuffy is my boss but uh we have a boss the lano of course i right. sug uh tuffy takes care of all the oil field side of, of it out there and he also books all the hunts and then i'm basically in charge of feeding and then like growing the deer right best way to explain it is i grow them he sells them if that makes sense yeah but yeah i mean as soon as i started out there me and tuffy which i knew tuffy a little bit before i started him and uh his daughter and my wife actually used to barrel race together and so that's how we knew them and that's how tuffy got a hold of me was ultimately through my wife but it all worked out for me right um but no, when I started, he, we went rode around. And he kind of said all the, he said everything straight. Like this is, you know, what you're going to be doing. This is what I do. You know, kind of telling me, you know, like, right, laying the groundwork. Yeah, like yeah, exactly, exactly. So is it is it just you take care of all of it, or do they have any? You have any hands or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Or? It's just me and Tuffy, and then we uh, there's a. The guy that leases the grass for the cows, there's a one of his hand. He takes care of all the cows and the waters, which that takes a lot off my me oh, yeah. as far as yeah. the waters goes, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty much just us. Yeah, that's something a lot of people watching this probably won't understand just how important water is out here. And mm-hmm. The fact that most of your water is in troughs or tanks, and it ain't like other parts of Texas where there's just lots of natural water. Yeah. Weird thing happened there. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah, I bet that does take a so you know because y'all are running how big is that ranch? Uh, com- we commercially hunt fifty thousand acres of it. So, it's yeah, one hundred fifty total, but we hunt fifty thousand. So how many how many feeders and stands y'all running? About sixty five is what we have going <laughs> on average. Uh, it depends year to year. We'll do our helicopter survey, and we'll see kind of what's up in the air and where we might turn a feeder off here and there, but. On average, about 60 to 65. Yeah. So, as far as getting into, like, I guess the management side, what, you know, what do you kind of begin at, y'all, as far as, like, setting the groundwork for the upcoming season? You start with a helicopter survey? We do. Every uh, September, as soon as, you know, we try to, as soon as they're all rubbed out. Right. Is when we, you know, end of September is usually when we do our helicopter survey. We, you know, of course, take account, get our, our, uh, 
see what our fawn crop was that year. But while we're up there, Tuffy's taking count in the back. We're counting everything we see. And then we also take the big camera, which I'm mm-hmm. usually running the camera, taking pictures of all the better deer we think. And, uh, but yeah, we start off helicopter survey come September. We'll, we'll usually start protein feeding as soon as the rut's over and right. then cut it off about September one and start throwing out corn. Cause usually our first hunt, you know, is the very first week in October. So that usually gives them a month to start finding feeders. That's why we cut all the protein off. And, uh, yeah, that's, so are y'all running, are y'all running, do y'all have protein stations away from your feeders or y'all running same place it's or same place? Yeah. I, that's something I see debated a fair amount. Some people will say, don't put the protein feeder by the, you know, corn feeder. Right. Some people say it doesn't make a shit. You, we, out here, we run them next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want them coming to the same place. Right. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's especially, and again, a lot of people won't understand just how little food opportunity there is out here. And once you kind of, once you go down that path, you either stay on it or you're just going to be hurt. You're going to be, you know, once you start feeding a good feed program, you better stay on that path, Mm -hmm. you know? So once you establish that as a feed spot, you better, you know, whatever your process is, you better keep it up. I mean, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're the same as you. We, we want them to know, where the dang feeders yeah. are at, you know, so. You know, and again, that's just something that, it'd be interesting to get someone in here that has different thoughts and see why they think so much different, like mm-hmm. why you shouldn't put the protein feeder near the corn feeder. And then, you know, just like some people feed both year round, some people don't. And and I can kind of see, as far as the pro- cutting the protein off come deer season, I can see that because obviously you want your deer coming in there and, shooting light yep you know in the past so this will be i think my sixth season here i've never cut them off protein now we won't feed as much but we still leave them protein Mm -hmm. and it does you know we'll see on camera that especially the motor mature bucks they'll they know they can go anytime get food but at the same time it's like well the does are always going to come that feeder goes off and yeah come right Yep. They're going to be chasing the does. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, it probably hurts us on sometimes every once in a while feeding, having feed from free choice during season. Mm-hmm. But this place was so poor when I got here. I was like, at least seven years, I'm going to feed both year round. Right. Now we do, we do turn down our corn feeders during the off season, mm-hmm. but I leave them slinging and we do feed protein year round alfalfa year round because there is no with the exception when we do have the occasional good spring there is not much browse or you know uh vegetation for them to eat and that's another thing people overlook is you can feed the highest dollar protein you know the highest percentage protein because everybody just thinks oh i just gotta feed them 26% 26% yep. protein and I'll grow a monster buck. If they don't have that natural foliage browse, what have you to help break that down in their stomach, they're not getting the full benefit. No, it, it goes to waste. Yep. Yep. That's, that's another thing, especially out here that gets way overlooked is like the, you know, 
we judge it off of what our rainfall is because when the rain does fall they're 100 percent going to go for that natural stuff mm-hmm. you know they they much rather eat it as opposed to like a bell of alfalfa and if they're eating alfalfa we keep feeding it if there's no rain and or if there is rain and there's natural foliage browse what have you and they're not eating alfalfa we just back off mm-hmm. which this year it's been solid alfalfa you know oh, we yeah. haven't stopped feeding it yeah a lot of times we can stop during the spring because we will get enough to get a little bit of natural. But this year it's dry. Yeah. You know, so y'all cut off, cut off the protein. What protein are y'all feeding? Uh, this year we actually switched from Purina just because Purina was outrageously high. Yes. Uh, we went to Elysian Echo Feed, which we f- have fed that in the past. And it's done pretty good for us. What percentage protein is that? It's uh, 16. 16? Yeah. We nice. work. Uh, so, like, during the – as soon as the rut's over, I'll feed a higher percent protein and a higher fat content right? to try to get some weight back on those deer. And then come springtime, usually when it starts raining, we'll cut it down to 16. Yeah. You know, more for antlers, and then don't worry about as, as much fat. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's been crazy this year. Yeah. For, dry you mm-hmm. ever mess with any cotton seed or anything we have in the past uh like i said prices again have been outrageous right. and it's hard to find it honestly yeah, especially this year yeah but there ain't gonna be much of it around two, here two years ago we were feeding cotton seed and then of course we feed alfalfa and peanut hay yeah all year pretty oh, they much love peanut hay. yeah they love it so I, that's been a that's been one thing i've noticed anywhere you go in texas peanut hay and alfalfa they generally flock to it pretty good more so the peanut hay they really love it as far as out here i tried cotton cotton seed one season they would not touch it wouldn't touch it i went by all the cotton seed feeders and because that's when we could get it around here mm-hmm. and it was cheap way cheaper than what was spending in protein yeah and it's super high in fat con you know super high in fat and it's got all the oils and stuff. and we we tried mixing corn with it tried going to getting uh I can't remember the name of that stuff. The pink stuff. I don't remember what it's called. The bag oh, of pink the, stuff. Just yeah. the attractive. Yeah, the attractive stuff. It's more like candy form. Well, there is some good stuff in it, but it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Try mixing that in with it. Like anything to try and get them interested. Nothing. And the, there's cotton fields around here, especially that year when it was good and yeah. wet. Would not. Like, oh. A lot of that cotton went so untouched that the, the little bit that got knocked on the ground and stuff, it germinated cotton. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They they just did not eat it. So I just went, ever since then, I just went back. So I started with uh, Purina. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, actually, I started with out here because they had, didn't have hardly any water sources, hadn't been fed a long time. And the only thing they ever did here prior, and that was years before I got here, was just run corn feeders during season. I actually started them on a, uh, just some kind of 16% cattle feed mm-hmm. just to ease them into it and it was it is cheaper uh, well may not be nowadays and then I, I bumped up to purina and then uh two seasons ago i swapped over to well i did double down for a little while but that shit's really expensive yeah oh i'd love to feed that but it's stupid yeah. and then uh we swapped to palmers and it's i, I don't remember if what we're feeding is a 20 or 23 i don't remember they have a couple different mm-hmm. options they really like it, and it, you know, seems to be having good results. We're yeah. just going to roll, and you know, Palmer's local, well, right, local ish. 
a pretty good price. So we're just going to continue with that. Yeah. Do y'all, do y'all run uh big feed bins and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Bowl trailers and all that. Mm-hmm. Oh know? yeah. I was hoping you'd say, yeah, cause if not, I was like, God dang. No, <laughs> it'd be a lot of work. Heck no. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be out there if I had to hand do everything. Hey, we did it for a long time, God. which we don't run nowhere near as your, but I mean, it would take several pallets to fill yeah. the corn feeders, several pallets to fill the protein feeders. And I was like, God, this sucks. Yeah. Cause the more we, the more we established stands and all that, uh, added more feeders and everything. And the more they really started liking that protein, you know, I'm very much like if they're eating it, pour it to them. Right. And, you know, if you can afford it, cause it is costly. Yep. You know, a lot of people don't realize, realize all this, that when you buy these hunts, they're priced the way they are for a reason. Exactly. Cause it's, it's a pretty big expenditure to feed these animals. Yes. Especially out here where they don't have much natural vegetation and it's very much dependent upon the rain. But when I got that blower trailer, I was like, <laughs> I mean, just in trash alone, it was a huge ordeal because yeah. you got so many bags. Oh, bags blowing everywhere. Oh, uh, yeah. We we got to where we just, which then we could burn a little bit. We just burn them every couple stands, stop right. somewhere, burn them, just get rid of it. Because if not, you're just carrying around gobs of trash. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, that'd, be, that'd be terrible. <laughs> you know, getting more bulk and getting the blower trailer was pretty nice. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it makes it short work of it and yeah. you don't have the waste and the trash and all that, which I'm sure, you know, what size feed bins do y'all run? Uh, know? 40 tons or not. I'm sorry. 20 tons is what our bins will fit. Do y'all so, run corn and protein or y'all just, what, how do you, during the that? off season, just protein. We don't oh, have corn. So I just use the same bin. For yeah. Same. And then come, like I said, September, I try to have the bin empty and then we'll order corn. Who do y'all who do y'all purchase your corn from? It was Prina. I'm sure it'll be Lissian Echo this year. Just we whoever we buying protein from that year, we usually just buy right. corn from. Right. And I mean, if you're running again, this can get very costly, but if you're running any kind of place with any kind of size, it's a worthwhile investment to get the overhead bins, the yes. lower trailers. Cause I mean, you got so much going on that those trailers can really cut down time. Like again, especially as many as y'all running, mm-hmm. there'd be no way you could do it without that right. process. Right. So, so you figure y'all feed how many tons of protein? So we're actually, uh, so the 50,000 acres is split up into three different ranches, but we hunt all three ranches. We only protein feed, tp creek where that's where the main our main headquarters all that is and in our opinion that's where the better deer are at right. and that's why we keep it because i mean we fed the whole fifty thousand acres on the whole ranch i mean we'd be spending so much money on feed oh yeah you know what i mean yeah and so we just feed uh tp's eighteen thousand five hundred acres and so that's the only ranch we're feeding um this year see we've already gone through one two Almost four loads at 20, that's 80 tons of feed. That's so pretty it's, substantial. <laughs> yeah, already, you yeah. know. And we still got August, yeah. another month, yeah. you know. So, I mean, in the years past, on like you said, wet years, I've had to fill feeders once maybe every month. But right. years like this, it's nearly at least 
once every two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's about a week and a half. It's when I mean, and we have the thousand pound feeders. Yeah, about a week and a half, and they're dry. I mean, yeah. they're just hammering oh, mowing it. through it this year. Yeah, it's just like that bad winter we had. I literally was feeding deer every day because mm-hmm. well, I was worried. Like if I don't keep, but they were. It was also right there at the end of rut. It's getting real bad weather wise, and that's when you know a lot of people again. They don't think about stuff like that. Like right after right, you should really be stacking it to them. Yeah. Them bucks are out here. I don't know what it is there out here. Last season alone, uh, we was pre rut was average. You know, good mature buck was averaging two hundred five to two hundred ten. One of them was like two fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know, on the hoof. Which when we first got got here, it was way less than that. So that you know, that's a pretty big that's, step up for us. Those are health. That's a big healthy deer that winter. I couldn't find any because everybody was going through the same stuff. Tough winter. Couldn't find any round bells, so I had to get square bells. And that sucked because mm-hmm. they were mowing through that shit. I was just going to get trailer load after trailer load after trailer load. I'm sure you'd throw a bell out and it'd be gone the next morning, you know. That evening. Oh, yeah. I would throw yeah. out. So I just, you know, restricted uh, to what they had, what they could get. I was dropping about four alfalfa square bells per stand every single day for a couple weeks straight. And I'm like, God, this sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm, I need to go into winter with round bells. Yeah. Or I really like the big squares. Uh, they seem to be a little bit higher quality. Now you do have to pay for them a little bit more <clears> than <throat> the big round bells. Sometimes them round bells. Yeah. Sometimes you get good ones. Sometimes you get shitty ones. The We usually do the, either the square bells or the big square bells just pull off flakes. Yeah. We don't, ever do which i would like to do the round bells but when we're hunting we don't just because again they can come and feed on that yeah during the yeah. night you know so we try to either do little chips square bells or the big flakes of those big mm-hmm. those big square bells you know but yeah the we never have done any round bells during during season now during the summertime and you know spring and summertime that's all we do is round bells yeah just because a lot easier but oh 100 yeah it's way easier yeah push out a round bell oh yeah head out so as far as you know again uh after rut y'all start feeding heavy and then springtime obviously that's important time and then going back to what you said during the technical difficulties uh say all that over again (laughs) so and this is just me i'm not an expert but just from what i've seen personally i think a wet winter compared to a wet spring is almost more important on a whitetail because they come out of the winter in better body condition. Right. And on a whitetail, I mean, they're going to take care of their bodies first, then your antlers yep. come. So if they come out of the, if they come out of a dry winter, hard, hard rut, and they're really run down, it, it takes those, it takes those deer a lot longer to put on the body weight. Yep. Compared to if they come, you know, on a really wet winter on a good year and they come out, like you said, you know, 200 pound, 215 pound live weight. That's a big, that's a big old yeah. deer for, you know, especially around where here. we're at around yeah. here. If they come out, you know, body condition is everything on a white tail. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, just, that's my little theory. Um, like two years ago when we had snow or whatever and right. had all that moisture last year, we had a phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. deer season. Yeah. I mean, the antlers were freaking awesome see out here 
after that winter, it was a hard winter, like way too cold. These animals, none of these animals are used to it, but there was a lot of moisture. Mm -hmm. And then out here, we had a great spring as well. So it was like, it was perfect. It was. It was a perfect season for antler growth. And even though out here that year, we got our first little ice storm in October. Mm -hmm. I don't know if y'all did or not. We did. I was in the stand. We actually had a little snow. I remember when we, I was in the stand filming, and, yeah, I mean, it was – shoot, I got, still got the videos of it. It's pretty yeah. cool. But majority of all of our young bucks started chasing right then. Yep. Like they started chasing super early, and yep. I was like, God, it's going to be a tough season on them because they're going to be super run down. Super, yep. Especially about – because the does didn't come in until the majority of them out here, and it's probably pretty close to that around Texas, usually around Thanksgiving. Thanks. Mm-hmm. They the does kind of start coming in, but then bucks start chasing super early. I was like, God, some bitches are chasing right now. Like, yes. calm down there, guys. I remember our first hunt was this last year or two years ago? That's two years ago now. Yes, two years ago. Uh, I was in first hunt of the year. We said I was hunting this deer, had a drop time, and uh, he was like 21, 22 inches wide. He's a 50s kind of deer. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, I'd set up this little pop up blind where I'd seen this deer, he wasn't coming in any feeders. He was just one of those kind of ghosts. Yeah. Anyways, I'm sitting there in that pop-up blind that first morning. And I think it was the first, no, it was like mid October, mid October is when we had our first hunt. But yeah, it was 17 degrees yeah. that first morning. I mean, it yeah. was freaking cold. Yeah. That, that was definitely a, a tough winter, which I enjoyed it for the predator hunting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I'm not, I didn't contest hunt any, uh, thank God, because like, it seemed like all the contests fell right on the bad weather. Yes. I, I hunted the first pretty day after it went away. Yeah. You know, that's that's my favorite time to predator hunt, but that's, we're talking about deer. <laughs> <laughs> so, rolling into season, y'all have done your aerial stuff, you got your counts, essentially. Mm-hmm. How many trail cameras do y'all run? about 80 and i start about first of august is when i'll start putting them out starting to kind of pattern starting to see kind of what's out in the pasture i know for i kind of know what to look for the you know year to year because we do a really good job of keeping track of all of our deer from Mm -hmm. and we we don't shoot our trophies till they're six years old so all those five years old from the years for the from the year previous I'm already looking for, you know, you might have a 140 inch deer. You're like, oh, this can be, this can be a nice deer next year, you know? Right. And so I've already got an idea of kind of where the hot spots are going to be. Um, but yeah, we, have, yeah, it's a ton of cameras. I mean, it, so I'm assuming y'all run cell cams. No, no cell. No. Cam, no. Oh my god. Oh, no. No. Nope. Nope. Uh, it's all. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you manage that? Running cameras alone, just doing that takes me about two days to run every camera. And I take, what I do is I'll just take my laptop and the pickup with me and I'll go around and I'll just make a round and I'll go through every picture because we try to, SD cards have gotten so dang expensive, but we try to have a bunch of extras and sometimes I'll just pull the card and take a pile home. And then that night I'm just all night long, you know, looking at pictures, but for the most part, because I can't replace every single card. Right. I'm just checking as I go. No. <laughs> it takes 
and I do it during season. I do it every week before the hunters come in. Uh, I'm running trail cams. No, just a whole lot of no. But it helps during deer season when it's not just me. We have all the guides. We'll split up. When I got some, that's what I was going to ask you. Obviously, you're not guiding everybody by yourself. No. You all just pick up guides for season. Yeah, we've got about 10 guys that we rotate hunts that we've been using for a while, and they're all, I mean, they're great. We trust them 100%. They all know deer. They know the system. But, yeah, during deer season, I mean, I've got tons of help. So we can. That makes it more manageable. And they most of them shoot got laptops, and they kind of know what we're looking for. So they'll just go. They see a, a pretty good deer. They'll save it to their laptop, and then they'll bring it back, and we'll put it on my laptop and then we'll go through everything you know also too during the helicopter survey we already kind of have a hit list made up right you know shoot i've already got a hit list made up from last year right for, for deer this year that yeah. i'm already going to be looking for yeah you know what i mean oh yeah yeah we do the same thing like oh this one's gonna be great next yeah. year we're gonna be you know i started usually i don't start cameras till like october because i hate <laughs> i mean it's important Obviously, I'm much smaller scale than you. I do, <laughs> yeah. I do a lot more sitting in the stands because a lot, especially the motor bucks and them smart bucks, they'll skirt them stands a lot. And uh, I do a lot of stand sitting starting October one. Yep. You know, same here. You get lots of photos and stuff like that. But you know, obviously, the trail cameras are handy. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I was doing the just you know, regular cameras. It would be anywhere from, I'd pull them once a week, and each camera would have anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 photos. And yep. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. This is this is not working for me. Because yes. it's just, nowadays, so we went to cell cams. It is more expensive because you have to pay a monthly fee. It's not that bad, but it is it is a monthly fee because mm-hmm. they'll, they'll do give you a group discount. I think we, we have, seems like we've got about 20 cameras. The fee, I have unlimited, which I'll probably dial it back this year because I'm starting to figure out how to work the actual camera because mm-hmm. there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Uh, I think it's about 300 a month for the service. Which, you know, you don't have to run it year round. Yeah. But we, we do. But I've already got my cameras going just because, you know, I had some help this summer. <clears throat> Made him go through and update all the cameras and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So we went in and started putting them out. But on those sale cameras we have, you can set times to where it's not, you know, you can set it to where it's not just taking grillions of photos. All and, day. You, you can know, set it to from 6 to midnight or whatever. Whatever times you want, yeah. you can set it. And that helps tremendously oh yeah that's nice because i mean for what i'm using the cameras for is uh seeing if this buck i know is over there is coming in at feed mm-hmm. legal shooting light so i'll usually just set them once i kind of know have a general idea i'll dial all of them back to certain times right because all i'm doing is looking for that buck when he's starting to come in during legal shooting light which that that helps a lot mm-hmm. you can really dial back the photos and some of them i'll leave going you know, I'm just curious what's going on over there at night right. and all that. But that helps a lot. And nowadays, like in October, I really start, which I'm checking them every two days. And it goes to, a, I have an extra cell phone. Uh, but come October 1, every single morning, first three hours. In October is about first three hours. I'm just 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just check it in photos. The problem with that, we've talked about those cell cameras, but the problem with us is a lot of the stuff out there, we don't have service. You know what I mean? So they won't work. Yeah. I mean, you can get, so my brother, he's been running cell cameras for a long time. He's always run a lot of cameras. Uh, like you used at one time, he had to have like three, four cameras in each stand, just so you can catch all that. I, right. I mean, I get the, I get the premise, but I'm just like, I don't want to look at that many photos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it is smart. Yeah, if you can do it and all, that, if you want to do it, like they, they live, breathe, eat whitetail hunting, mm-hmm. so it's easy for them to like look through yeah. millions of photos. But he has some. They moved up to a place up in Oklahoma, which is a phenomenal place. Uh. And they're they basically run it almost like you would a uh, like like we do. They feed you around all that. Like he's real big into the herd management, and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and it, it shows they have big deer. So right. he has the cell phone cameras now. He's been running for a couple of years now. I think he's got dang cell boosters and shit on them. Golly, <laughs> he is. He's serious. You know, there are some spots where they don't have service out there, and they'll have a tall pole with a cell booster <laughs> on top of it. I'm like, Golly. Yeah, you're wrapping a lot of money up just to yes. see a picture of them. But, I mean, I get it. Like That's, that's the thing, you know. Uh, but we are kind of – I do have a few that are in low spots that, like, all of a sudden one day a week I'll just get a photo dump from mm-hmm. that camera. But for the most part, we're pretty fortunate. Like, we have good cell service out mm-hmm. here. Yeah, that's good. Which, I mean, I just can't imagine going through all those photos. Oh, man, it's – so that's mostly what I do at, at nighttime. I'll just sit down and – Scroll through all those cards, you know. Are y'all MLD? I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is what is your annual doe take? You think how many does y'all got to call out? On average, year? about three hundred a year. That's what I'm saying, but it's a lot. Yeah. So what do y'all do? Do y'all donate a lot of that? Yeah. That's what we uh, of course, all the guides they take a bunch for yeah. them and their family and then their friends or whatever. But we do a lot of that uh, the hunger or the hunters for hunger. Yeah donate to them and then we donate a lot to the processors yeah the local you know ballinger and angelo but yeah we, i mean we had to keep all those deer <laughs> yeah we i mean we fill our our freezers full with what we need but we can't keep all no, that that's, you know that's what i mean a lot. it's a lot and two we include you know a couple of does with our hunters that yeah. they can take home with them that kind of helps us out too to take down on some numbers because you know we run about on average, about 30 to 35 hunters a year. And if we let them take three or four does, that yeah. helps, you know, to do the math on that, that helps out a lot too. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. so come come October, you're you're putting together like your hit list mm-hmm. and y'all have done enough counting to where y'all, y'all know what your doe quota is and all that. So how do y'all, when, as soon as season starts, do y'all start calling does on my, you know, Right off the bat? Yeah, start. As soon as it starts, I mean, we, our deal is, is we try to shoot as many does and cold bucks early before they rut. Right. As we can. Yeah. Um, yeah, we try, I mean, of course, you know what your coals breeding. So we right. really, really hammer the do, the coals in October. Right. And then the does, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, try to get everything shot before they start breeding mm-hmm. it doesn't happen i mean we have to shoot so yeah. many freaking deer yeah it's long you're gonna does. shoot some bread does but we try to at least 60 percent. you know what mm-hmm. i mean and do we ever we don't fill every single tag every year i mean it's there's no way because i mean you can, even on fifty thousand acres you can you can powder burn a place really bad yeah and we don't ever shoot the guides don't now the clients yes but 
us, we never shoot does out of the stands either. Just so we don't, you know, you got a big deer right. in the area. Right. We don't want to powder, like I said, powder burn a stand out, you know. Yeah. So, you know, if y'all had suppressors, it's way better. Yeah, well, and most of the guides <laughs> do, but I do not. <laughs> God. I know. I'm one of the only ones. I, I think, think I might be the only one. I think the ranch should provide that for you. Yeah. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> so, y'all, obviously, you know, and, and that's another thing that people, a majority of your hunters don't like to do is shoot does. Which it's become, it seems like it's become more accepted. Like a lot more knowledge is out there nowadays about keeping buck doe ratios good and all that. And, but you still have a lot of people like they don't want to mess up. The way I've heard it explained multiple times, if I shoot that doe, what if that buck was going to court that doe? Oh, yeah, that yeah. type of mentality. I've heard that so many times. And I'm always like, knock them out the beginning of the season get it get it out of the way mm-hmm. you know you don't want to again you don't want to you ideally you don't want to be shooting bread does but again when you're doing that much work and we run into it out here we don't have to shoot nowhere near as many uh you just you have a lot to do and you don't have time to just right knock them all out at once and all that it's going to happen but it's very important to do i mean that's again keeping that buck to dough ratio good and again with the cold bucks Hundred percent. You don't want them in a breeding pool. Mm-hmm. You don't want them possibly fighting your trophies and knocking horns off. Yeah. So get it. Get yep. it. Try and get well, it knocked down it. first. You yeah. Know. And that's we're really really big on that. I mean, get as many coals as you can shot early. If not, I mean, you're already a year behind. Yeah. You're never going to get every single coal out of the gene pool. No. Never. No. But you can definitely help it. You know. One hundred percent. You know when when we first come out here, it was basically all coals. <laughs> you know. <that's, laughs> yeah. It was a bunch of shit to put it lightly and that's really that's all we killed the first couple of years was nobody shot quote-unquote trophies it's just everybody shoot what i point at like right kill that deer kill right. that deer kill that deer and it's it's very important i mean and so is killing an adequate amount of does which we never get done as many as we need to yep because again it's usually comes down to me shooting most of them and then dealing with all that you just get tired of it yeah I will say this year. Now, it would probably be might near impossible unless y'all hired a full-time person to do it. This year, we started, or this last season, we started doing all of our own processing. And I'm not going to say where we used to take our shit, mm-hmm. but it was a Midland. It was very expensive. And every single time we got the meat back, it tastes like shit. And I'm like, God, these deer out here must, must suck. Yeah. And I started thinking about it. I started watching kind of what they do. They they claim you get your own meat back. But this place is like a, it's kind of like where everybody takes their animals. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, there's always a line. And no matter what day of the week you go, there's so much going on. And I kind of watched, you know, as I was waiting up there to pay a tab once, I kind of watched what they was doing. I'm like, yeah, they're not keeping track of that shit. No. You're, you're no getting, you, they're putting down, you know, what you should get back. And that's what you're going to get back. Uh, exactly. You're not going to get your deer back. I don't give a shit what they say. I watched them do it. Like you're once exactly it passes right. a certain point, there's no indicators yes. of whose deer it is. So I'm like, Oh, well, I'm probably just getting a bunch of bullshit. That was like gut shot. And you <laughs> yeah. know, Oh yeah. Cause yeah, we've, we've been through that same deal too. on on one that we've used in the past. And you and, never got your deer back. And I mean, by the end of it, you know, because we do have to shoot a fair amount of does and cold bucks every year. Well, last year, they're, 
knock on wood, I hope it stays that way. Last year, there wasn't hardly any cold bucks. Mm-hmm. It was a bunch of mature management aids. You know, is what we we kind of moved out of just all cold bucks to just management aids. Yeah. You yeah. know, good progression every year. But, uh, I mean, one year I looked up and it, the process of bill was almost $7,000. And I'm like, Jesus. And, and it tastes like shit. Yeah. And it also comes down to if you process your own, which I know it's just unobtainable for y'all. It's, well, I mean, you could probably do a few, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's unobtainable for y'all. It's just, it's a lot of deer, but yeah, we processed our first one ourselves. Actually, me and Fitzy did, uh, and just grinded up. You know, we, we kept the, uh, back strap in the, in, uh, tender loins. Tender loins. Just as, you know, we cut up the back strap, wrapped biking around, you know, generic stuff. Every bit of the rest of it, we did, you know, hamburger meat. Mm-hmm. But that right there, I was like, I'm never taking another deer to a processor. Now, if someone comes out here and shoots a deer and they want to take it, that's fine. Yeah. But our personal stuff, because we I ate a bunch of meat, uh, that's, you know, saves a substantial amount of money, which technically, if you factor in all the feed we're feeding it's probably not saving anything. right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean i love deer bait yes so what we did on that was one one thing i noticed a lot of people don't do when they're processing their own deer meat is they don't take a lot of time and clean it up real good and get mm-hmm. a lot of that bullshit out like the yep. grizzly deer fat's not very good i don't think i don't either i don't want it in there get it out and we took our time and cleaned that meat up really good like got all the grizzly crap out yep and then we went to mixing it. I went and bought. So at the grocery store, you can buy what's called bacon trimmings. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like there's chunks of ham, big chunks of pig fat, and then big chunks of bacon. Yep. It's like when they trim out the bacon, that's what's left. And that's what we used to mix. And it was like an 80, no, it was like a 70, 70% deer meat. The rest, uh, mm-hmm. that bacon trimmings made some phenomenal burger meat. And that's what sold us. I was like, oh, wh- this is what we do now. Yes. Which I kind of, you know, we got some a good grinder and all that kind of stuff. And it is a time investment, but the payoff it's night and day difference between what you get back. And I'm not saying all of them are like that, but you, when you can control, cause what they're doing, they're just stripping again. You're getting anybody's deer ball the time. Mm-hmm. You're, you're basically putting in an order and you're yeah. dropping off mate and they're, they're just going through there, cutting that shit off as fast as possible, and oh, they're yeah. not—they're not picking through that and stripping out that, oh, all that garbage, all that hair and everything else. You know, and that's—that's that's what gives it the gamey taste, and that's what leads a bad taste, literally a bad taste in people's mouths yes. when they get something from a shitty processor. And I'm not saying they're shitty; they conduct business really well. It's just the quality of meat wasn't there. Yeah, that's enough on that tangent. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And when you do it yourself, I mean, you know exactly what you're getting. You know, no, it, it was. Everybody who had the, because we, we ended up doing just a bunch of burger meat. Because we, during the holidays, we have gobs of people come out and mm-hmm. all that. We ended up doing just a bunch of burger meat and then just the back straps and tenderloins. Well, I ate quite a few hearts, which that's another thing mm-hmm. I've never done till this season. Yeah. And the first time I did, I was like, oh, I've been throwing this shit away this whole time. That's stupid. Yeah. This is delicious. But uh, anyways, uh, I just went blank. <laughs> Moving on, anyways, enough about all that. So, you know, put together our hit list of bucks. And, you know, you try to get your calling out of the way the best you can. Mm-hmm. You put together a hit list of bucks. You know, 
do you kind of just do you do the old post pictures up on the wall or they just all the guides come to you and like hey this buck's over here and all that stuff and for the most part yes uh so i just keep track of everything and then me and tuffy get together and we will we'll put up this list and i'll get this i've kind of got everything broke down into categories and the files on my computer management deer 130 inch deer because we break our cat we have categories for our mm-hmm. hunts management being anything under 129 inches and then it steps up to 3500 dollars deer is 130 to 139 and then we have a 140 149 a 150 159 and then 160 plus is our trophies and so i'll have files with everything and i'll put every deer that's of age that year that we were possibly wanting to shoot in the folder and then we have a guide weekend basically pretty much the first the opening weekend of october we have a guide weekend we set all the ground rules for the season we get together we cook shoot does that's the main thing right. we shoot as many does we can that weekend coals but two it kind of lets everybody know what deer we have that right. i mean we don't have we hadn't seen every deer out in the on the past year yeah. yeah. first october but we've got a few on the list you know and then because all those guys we've been hunting most of our clientele are we have a lot of repeat guys so we right. know who we're hunting with year to year what we're going to shoot and so like billy for instance one of our guides knows that he's going to have a trophy on the third hunt and he's already looking like man i need to find a trophy for for taylor you know what i mean right and so that's kind of what we do i just on my laptop i just have everything broke down yeah as far as uh what are y'all calling the management like what's the age which you know and this is something because like what defines a coal buck well i've always said whoever's running the ranch yep. that's who defines what a coal buck is. <laughs> yes like it may be a trophy to somebody but if you're yes. going for certain genetics and looks and everything else the ranch manager essentially defines what the coal buck is yep what is what is y'all standards for quote-unquote a management buck for a management, it's with a client at least five years old and, like I said, less than 129 inches. It could be guys are, you know, guys. a lot of guys don't realize the inches, they go off points. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. that thing's got 14 points, but it might be 115 inches, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, for us, it could be a mainframe 12 but you don't score 122 inches, so that's we'll get him. You know, we, yeah. we shoot him as management gene pool. Basically, anything five years old, and it's if it's not 130 inches, that's that's a management. I us. think that's pretty. I don't see a problem with that. I mean, you should be shooting. Yeah, I mean, if five years old, it's, mm-hmm. do y'all do y'all see the biggest jump in antler growth out there from three to four? Yes, it's pretty. Yeah, I would pretty say much so. what most. Yeah, you know seems like that's their biggest growth year three mm-hmm. or four so you got your management which is basically anything five years old underneath 130 inches uh what's the what are y'all's definitions of a cold buck with a see we it's different too because when it's just the guides man we'll go shoot some cold bucks that are actually management bucks but it's hard you can't shoot those kind of deer with a with a and consider them a cold buck with a client because a lot of guys, man, that's a trophy then. Yeah. So you don't want to yeah. bring in a 125-inch deer that they just shot as a management and be like, 
man, that's a cold bug. That's a piece of shit. When that's the biggest deer he's ever shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So with the client, we try to stick to seven points and less and at least four years old. Right. It's pretty easy, you know. Do y'all ever, like, what if it's like, say, a three-year-old, eight-point that's already, like, something crazy? Are y'all going to let that grow a little bit? Yes. Yeah. yeah, we've, last year, well, two years ago, we had a mainframe eight in one of our pastures. He was, a hundred. we thought he was like a low 40s kind of eight. And, man, a lot of guys wanted to shoot him that year as a five-year-old. And he was 140 inches. And we usually shoot our 140-inch deer if they're at least five. Yeah. And so, but for me and me and Tubby got together and talked about, it, like, man, that deer might jump up at six. He might be 150-inch eight. We ended up shooting in this year. He's 154, or this past season, he was 154 inches. That's a big ass six, eight point, slick eight. It's a big ass eight he point. Was. There. I mean, he's just a stud. Yeah. <laughs> you know, eight points seem to be another one of those debate things because mm-hmm. I've been I've been to a ranch. I'm not going to say too much. Basically, if it was eight point, that some bitch was going to die. Yeah. Even if it was a two year old monster eight point, I'm like, okay. Well, I'm being a little bit dramatic. Three-year-old monster eight point. And I'm like, especially on a game ranch where you're selling hunts and whatnot, mm-hmm. that seems like a bit of a mistake. Yeah. he Or even a four-year-old monster eight point. Yeah, he may not make anything more than eight point. Uh, but next year, he could be a monster as mm-hmm. eight point. I guess, again, it just depends on what ranch you're at and who's running the ranch and yes. defines what the standards are. But at the end of the day, like you shouldn't be shooting all the eight points, you know? Yes. Yeah. Funny story is before I was out there. So for all the guides, a, a big eight is bucket list for all of us. Cause we know right. how rare right. 150 inch eight point is. Yeah. So Tuffy was actually, he, one of his repeat guys, he, he was hunting. This was, like I said, this is before me, but he was telling me they're sitting in the stand and I don't know, this trashy, I don't know, 10 point or something. He said he was like a low sixties kind of deer came in and or that hunter, man, he, he was flipping out like, Oh God. And Tubby was like, maybe you like him, kill him. Well, right when he got his gun up, there was this down this little right away that we had. Tubby said he saw this other deer crossing and he ended up being, he was, he was a mid fifties. eight. we've actually got him replicating the lodge. And he's like, whoa, Jack, Jack. He tapped on him. He said, you might want to shoot this deer instead, you know. But he didn't know at the time what right. the heck he had. Just I mean, an eight point. Yeah, just what an eight point. About? But he was like 156-inch eight point or something That's like that. That's a monster you know? eight point. We've, we've got four replicas on the wall of 150-plus eight points. we got one that's right at 160. I mean, he's freaking stud that's pretty monstrous eight points right we'd, there we'd for i don't know why but we kill some every year we'll kill two or three in the 40s which those are big oh yeah big freaking eights too you if know? you get an eight point that breaks 130 that's a big ass yes. eight point yeah you know especially for a mature bug uh, you know last year we we called out i guess it's about four five year old eight points which is fine i mean we have plenty mm-hmm. uh there is one monster eight point that i'm gunning for he was probably it's probably 140 last year but the thing that really gets me he's super wide he didn't have a lot of mass uh super wide very tall tines tall yeah. brow tines all the all the good stuff but 
his body size. I couldn't believe it. Like he's the biggest deer on this ranch. Mm-hmm. He was a he's a toad, and we like that. Well, that one that weighed, I think it's two fifteen on the hoof. That was a big eight point, and this deer just going off trail camera photos dwarfs that one. Yeah, I I can't. Oh, the, the stupid thing. <clears throat> I was kind of watching him on camera. Like he's they're eventually going daylight. You know, like as soon as he daylights, his ass is mine. Yeah, he's going to the same place. It's just again, you can. Out here, you can kind of watch them. Like, as it progresses closer to the right, they're eventually going to start daylighting. Like, mm-hmm. the first bit, they start daylighting. You better get over there and shoot them. Yeah. Because eventually, they're going to go somewhere else. Disappear, and you might not ever see them till later on. Next you know? season, yeah. out here sometimes. Yeah. But uh, I'm like, oh, he's get, it's getting closer. It's getting closer. And then he disappears and then ends up five miles away on mm-hmm. another camera and completely broke off. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, oh. I guess you get to live another year because yeah. I, I don't want to shoot him broken off. And yeah. Is he going to throw eight-point genetics? I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works. Like, are they going to throw eight-point genetics? Or are they going to throw good mass genetics? Because that's he has great mass, great width, right? fantastic brow tines. That was the hardest thing. Like, when we first got here, no brow tines. Yeah. Like, it was just shit deer everywhere. And I'm like, I don't know how exactly that works as far as, like, does he throw off? just genetics in general or is he throw off is he gonna throw eight points mm-hmm. you know i don't i don't know how that works and does anybody actually know how that works i mean obviously no. you want the biggest baddest deer which defined by your standards throwing off you know offspring mm-hmm. but as far as like is this eight point gonna manufacture other eight points or is he gonna manufacture good healthy deer because he's big bodied and everything else and i'm like it's not that big of a deal that he lived. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a big, healthy deer, especially yeah. for around here. That's kind of how we are. If something breaks early or something, you know, it doesn't really hurt our feelings just because we get another year of breeding out of them. You know what I mean? Last season, did, you, did y'all have a bunch of broken bugs? Early. We did too. Because, <laughs> you know, we're always – there's so over the years, we've been really focusing on cold bucks and does. And when we first got here, it was way – lopsided way too many does and we always <clears throat> never get enough killed but we've been getting it way more under control uh but there's still going to be a couple stands that have way too many does like a bunch of does will come over from the neighbors top deal mm-hmm. but last season our numbers were the best they've ever been as far as buck to doe ratio but still they started early and i almost every single buck broke off like got broke off last yeah. year. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, according to general logic, they've been eating great and everything else. Yeah. And the buck to doe ratios are good. Yeah. They shouldn't be doing all this, but last season was the worst I've ever seen. Yeah. Like yeah. they all got after it pretty hard. And see, we had the same thing. I mean, our buck to doe ratio, it all looked pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, early it seemed like they were, had a bunch starting to break. I, I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people would like say it's this and that. Uh, I sure don't know. Yeah. It didn't make any sense to me. Cause like I said, I was like, Oh, going into that season, I was like, man, our buck to ratio is looking great. And they usually get, especially come around, they get pretty rowdy out here. Mm-hmm. You always have, especially when there was way more does, but last year was looking better than ever. And it still, I, there weren't many bucks that it wouldn't completely broke off or yeah. at least one side missing. Yeah. Except for most of the studs, they didn't get broke off. 
Right. They also went just, they ghosted me. Oh, yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is if you want, if you're patterning, patterning, patterning bucks, mature bucks, my personal opinion is the best time to get one is the very beginning of rifle season, at least. Mm-hmm. You, the further, the longer you wait, the harder you're going to have to hunt for yep. it. And the more you're going to have to be on your game of knowing what's going on on the right. range. Because them suckers, I don't know how far they'll go out there. Used to be they would travel way further out here. But the more we establish more stands, more food resources, they won't travel as far. But we had some bucks. And they call, I was reading a book about this. I can't remember what they call it. They have a name for the ones that roam really far. I can't remember what it's called. But there's two particular bucks out here. That one went several miles, and then there was another one that went literally across the entire ranch to every single feeder. And that's a that's a good probably 12-mile trip. Yeah. <laughs> he just he went to all of them. So down in uh, – we, we, we kind of got everything broke up into pastures, and we call it the vat. And it's basically these big hills, and it has a big rim all the way, and it makes a big horseshoe. Down in the bottom, the vat's like – 5,200 acres. I mean, it's a big pasture. Right. And we have four feeders down there. And we had a deer two, three years ago do the same thing. You just make it a big, which 5,200 acres of circle. I mean, that's a that's a yeah. pretty big loop. Yeah. He was doing the same thing, just traveling every single feeder. We never could get in pattern. You know, what is a, a square, square miles, what, 600-something, 30-something acres or something like that? 600, uh, 640. So, yeah, he's making some yeah. tracks, you yeah. know. And then I've, I've seen on camera, you know, we do have so much country from, I mean, I'm talking seven, eight miles from where we'd seen him out of the helicopter during the rut. He's on the very far, far south end of the, of the ranch. Yeah. He's all the way up on the north end on does yeah. just a long ways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll definitely, you know, that's, that's why I tell people like bow season is a good time to be. Because that out here, bow season on into the first part of the rifle season, a lot of the bucks are still traveling together. Mm-hmm. You know, they're coming in feed times when the corn feeders going off. <clears throat> the good pattern, but if you, the longer you wait, the chance the higher the chances are they're going to be yeah. broke off, and they're going to roam, chase hot does, all that stuff. I mean, everybody talks about the rut because you do have. I will say this. Back where I used to live, where you're hunting much smaller parcels of land, rut was the best time to hunt because mm-hmm. that's when all the mother bucks are traveling, and you have, you would have the best chance at seeing multiple and other bucks you never seen something before. new, right? Whereas when you start talking about these big parcels and you really start being able to keep a good eye on them and all that, early season's my favorite time. Yeah, that, same for us for for the guides. I mean, the rut is fun to hunt because you do see new deer you hadn't seen and you can get out and do little, you know rattle if you like to do that stuff which we all do um but we hate the rut just yeah. because we have all these deer patterns yep. and everybody seems to want to hunt during the rut so we have yeah. all of our high-end guys paying all this money and you know they come in and we freaking lost a deer yeah, we can't find them. yeah we're str- we struggle you know oh, and I- they understand but i mean we we don't always, I mean, more times than not, we end up killing a deer. Right. Something, you know, but yeah, I mean, we're, we'll have those target bucks and have them pattern to a T and then freaking they just mm-hmm. are gone. Yeah. You might a, not see them for a month. If, once you get into rut, not after rut, 
uh, you really got to hunt. If you're hunting for one particular buck, you really got to hunt that sucker. Mm-hmm. Whereas early season, it's way easier. And I think, it, again, it comes down to large land as opposed to small land. Yes. You know, it's large land. And if you're, if you're out there a lot, and that's, that goes with anything, it's time in the field. There's no, you know, you can run cameras and everything else. The more time you can get in the field and put eyes on animals, the better you're going to get at locating them and keeping up with them. Or you can get one of those heartbreakers. Last year I was hunting this six. It was a, it was a, he was a low sixties deer is what I thought. I had lots of video of him and, uh, I built a little brush pond because he wasn't coming in any feeders. And I've been baiting this little area with alfalfa and putting out corn and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just a little area he was traveling and deep Eddie vodka hunts with us every year. And anyways, hunters come in and I'm like, man, I got a deer for you this year. He's freaking awesome. We sit in that brush blind, and I think it was the fourth, third or fourth sit. He comes in, and his whole right side was gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had we had quite a bit of that last year. So. Uh, Dylan, my son, decided that he didn't want to shoot another man's night. That's literally what he shot since he started hunting. Mm-hmm. We started him out on an ancient eight point that was crap head, and then he the next year he got a a, a pretty good eight point. And the next year, he got a pretty good eight point. So I asked him, I said, we got plenty of management eights. <clears throat> Do you want to go for that? Do you want to go for the, some of these big colt bucks? He's like, I want to go for the big colt buck. Yeah. I said, we're going to have to hunt because by the time he got down here, it was right. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to hunt. We hunted all the way up, and we seen several of the target bucks, but that was all broke. All off. broke, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, when that deer came in that morning, I saw, I saw him too. I saw him coming. I knew it was him. And he turned, I saw that side going. I'm like, <laughs> I said, man, we might as well go. <laughs> I said, that's him, but yeah. And it I mean, it's just nature of the beast that time of year. Yeah, it is. There ain't nothing you can do about it. No, just, I tell everybody just hunt harder early season. Mm-hmm. That's if you can, I mean, I know not everybody can, but if you can hunt harder early season, yeah. especially if you have one pattern. Right. <gasps> so uh, we went over. Y'all standards and all that stuff. Man, trying to think of what other people might want to know. Y'all, we went over y'all's feed program. Uh, as far as water, uh, I know you might have mentioned this. How many do y'all have water at each stand? Do y'all have water in general areas, or it's how do y'all? They're set up by most of them are set up by waters. Right. Basically, not every single, but I bet eighty percent of our feeders have a water by it. And that that's another thing people overlook tremendously mm-hmm. which i mean it's it's becoming more and more known how exactly how important water is because what i mean ultimately <clears throat> golly should got another bottle of water ultimately the name of the game is find find your buck pattern your buck and then it becomes well if you're not going to get him killed early season it becomes where are the does at you know and the best thing I feel, and this goes kind of both ways. The best thing I feel to do is uh, create a, a great location for the does to want to feed mm-hmm. daily. And if you have a bunch of natural vegetation, you should take that into account, like sit up close to that. Mm-hmm. But out here, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess, because they don't have a lot of natural vegetation. They're <sighs> very dependent upon what we're feeding them to you know, grow big and all that stuff. But 
it's also they're very dependent on what we feed them mm-hmm. so you know the that becomes their main food resource, and that becomes where the does go to feed and right. bucks go to feed and chase the does. Yes. And water is super key ingredient. I mean, you can put out all the feed you want, but if they have to travel several miles to go get water, it may put them getting to your stand super late at night and stuff. So I, t- I always tell people, if you can't run a water trough, you need to set up close to a water. Mm-hmm. And try to make your location close to water because right. everything needs water to survive. It's yeah. another key ingredient. I mean... And again, uh, going back to kind of what you said earlier about stressors, the you know the first thing when when whitetail bucks especially when they're stressed, the first thing to go is the antlers, mm-hmm. and what falls underneath the stress category is drought. Yep. And if you're not running water, or if it's super dry in your place this year, you should definitely be running some sort of water trough. And yeah, it's a lot better if you can keep it full. But if you can only go out to your lease every two weeks and fill up your water trough, it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, you know, do y'all have wells everywhere? Do y'all have yes. to fill up any water? Oh, that's yeah, super nice. We've got <laughs> probably about a hundred windmills, you know, all over the ranch. We got dirt tanks and then everything's got troughs coming off of it. So I wish it, we had, we just, we're real dry out here. Yeah. We have three working wells. One of them's at the house. Right. You know. Uh, I tried to drill a few wells when I first got here, and they were 450 foot deep with nothing in them. Yeah, you know, I would like to draw uh, try a few more, but that made me pretty gun shy. I don't like wasting money, you know. Yeah, and that was that was a, just a huge waste of money. So we we run a bunch of water. Mm-hmm. It sucks, but I mean, it has it's pivotal. It's super important. I mean, it is, uh, especially out here. You know, people don't realize it's basically a desert. Yeah, you know? I mean, if you and you know, if you're not running, if you don't have water here, and your neighbors all have water, well, where are the deer going to go? Exactly. You're not going to have any. They may, like I said, they may come in at night and munch on your corn. Yeah, but but if you can create a habitat, it's 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 going to hold more deer, and right. that's what you want. Exactly. Uh, as far as that goes, do y'all run? Do y'all plant anything every year? Do y'all mess with any of that? Uh, it just depends on the year how it how yeah. the first of the year's gone we'll kind of you know if we have a good spring we we'll plant some food we've done we didn't do one of course this year right and we didn't do one last year but two years ago we, we usually just plant weed or at least something we planted uh that what's that uh tecamati is that what know. it is that south texas drought resistant oh, yes, yes mix yeah. it's got peas and all kinds yeah we've done that before uh but yeah i mean just kind of it's year dependent you know and i mean uh, one thing I've learned, I, I usually do them every fall because we usually get a little bit of rain here during the fall. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing, I, a buddy of mine told me this one of the, like second or third years. He was like, if you're not planting at least 80 acres out here, it's never going to make it. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, you'll see. So it never fails. I'll do all this work, plant all these food plots. And I've been slowly increasing them every year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we'll get like this little on rain it's just enough to start sprouting them up the deer just mowing right down oh yeah as soon <laughs> as it comes up it never even has a chance yeah. yeah so i mean so what we've been doing is slowly increasing the size of the plots and i've been working on so the bad thing we don't have out here very well is uh other food sources like i've been really focusing on like we got our all everything established like our protein feed right. and hay and everything else to me the next step up is habitat improvement Mm -hmm. so we've been going through like in between stands i've been clearing some plots working on that the past two years two seasons 
once I kind of got them where I want, which, you know, out here it's lots of mesquite and all that. So you got to, it takes a little bit of time to get good, Mm -hmm. good soil. And like, go through there and clear it and I'll go ahead and start rolling out hay bales on it to start putting something back on the soil. The soil is garbage out here. Right. And then, uh, you know, as the new little pissed off mesquites, what I call them, start popping up, we'll spray them and then go through and root grapple. So we're, we're really at this phase of the ranch. I'm really starting to look at like, could I irrigate this from one of the waters I have? Yes. Okay. We're going to focus on making this spot a, a good habitat. And hopefully over the next couple of years, we'll have some of these in between plots for what I would like to do is spring plot and then culti pack it down into a fall plot, mm-hmm. you know, but again, if you're not near out here, if you're not near a water source, yeah, it's going to be might near impossible. You're yes. just not going to get enough rain. And then if you get a little bit of rain and just a little bit comes up because your plants, you know, most people don't make very big food plants on like weekend deer mm-hmm. lakes and stuff out here. They'll just mow right through it. Oh like, yeah. Cause they, like, I'll say this a million times because I've watched them with my own eyes. As soon as we get a little bit of moisture and a little bit of that green stuff pops up, they'll walk right across corn and everything else. Go hit that new green they stuff. Will. And it's good for them. As yeah. far as, uh, so y'all just basically do food plots when you can and all that. Yeah, pretty uh, much. I mean, I mean, what y'all's, what y'all's browse like out there? It, you know, I've never been over that area. I don't know what your, you know, topography looks like and what, what kind of natural food resources y'all have available. It's just a bunch of shrub, you know, shrubs and, you know, your cat claws and, uh, hackberry, you know, just all, just a bunch of algerita stuff, you know, algerita berries, stuff like that. And will the deer feed on any of that stuff? Like oh, any yeah. of the berries? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, that's when I first got out here, I'm used, to, you know, before this, I took care of some small places in North Texas, acorn trees, mm-hmm. you know, and then you could plant. You could plant good food plots because the the quantity of deer wasn't quite as much as out mm-hmm. here, and you'd grow up these fancy food plots like you see in the pictures and all that, and it was easy. When we got out here, I was like, I didn't know what to do with all this, but I started, you know, just watching them, watching them, and like I said, the the fresh new growth anytime in the, mainly in the draws because that's where the best soil is out here is in the draws. Yes, I guess just from years of it washing off the hills mm-hmm. and settling. And then I noticed, like, obviously they're going to eat the beans off the mesquite Mesquites. trees. Oh, which yeah. this year, there wasn't very many because it was super dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, most of the mesquite trees looked like they were about to start dying until we got this last little rain. But <laughs> well, they didn't produce nowhere near the mesquite beans. And that's, a lot of people may or may not know, that's a good source of protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has, like, natural sugars and stuff like that in it, right. which is good for the deer. And I also noticed, I don't know what they're called. It was some kind of little cactus that makes a flower. It's those tall, skinny cactus that when they die, uh, they look look like a little tube. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I don't know what it's called. Man, I don't know what that cactus is. But It's not the Tassahia stuff. It's it's the more about that big around. Yeah. They make a flower, and the, I've watched a bunch of does munch them flowers right off those mm-hmm. things. So, you know, it's it's fascinating to watch out here what all they will eat. Like, uh, there was another one that I was going to talk Oh, like yucca. When they flower oh, yeah. and bloom out, munch those things right off. Like, they're just adapt to eating all that stuff. When it's, you know, this spring, it didn't bloom hardly any at all because we didn't get no rain during the spring. Right. So, it'll be interesting to see 
Which right now are, you know, they're in velvet, but they're also looking pretty good already, you know, because mm-hmm. we do feed so much. Right. But that's that's a, a component that people often overlook is habitat and approval and, you know, improvements because they would much rather, you know, if they if you have lots of natural vegetation, it's going to be overall healthy, healthier herd. Mm-hmm. That's what you're shooting for. Uh, do y'all have, so... On y'all's protein feeder, I, this is a theory of mine. I just want to run it by you, see what you think. So on y'all's protein feeder, y'all just run one size protein feeder and that's it? Yeah, they're all the same one. They're all those big green thousand yeah. pound feeders. So it's got the tubes coming down, you know. How far do you know? Do you have an idea about how far the tubes are off the ground? Probably two. <laughs> Did you just bleep him? <laughs> Bleed my finger. My finger went awry there oh. for a second. <laughs> uh, they're, I don't know, two, two and a half foot off the ground, maybe. So three foot. Watching all the deer, late season, after season, like you know, I spent some time to stand shooting pigs one year, and this was when it kind of first come to me. I was watching, you know, most everybody knows there's dominant does and dominant bucks, mm-hmm. and and the does. Well, this kind of goes for most anything. The females, the mothering females, always get like. They're the most, they're going to get fed the best before the bucks. And now, you know, I've watched several mature does run off monster bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, the does are going to get first pick. And so I started really watching that. And then I sit there and watched uh, mature does. Like we have nicknames for those, the mm-hmm. ones that usually bust you. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sit there and watch them uh, stomp off button bucks and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like first year fines. And I started thinking, I was like, you know, one thing that gets overlooked is everybody just looks at like the three-year-old, four-year-old. Most people who don't really focus on herd health, they look at they don't even think about the does, which that is your buck factory. You know, it's not just buck health; it's overall herd health. Because yes, a good a good buck's going to throw good genetics, but mm-hmm. a good doe is going to throw and a good lot of, healthy bucks. And a lot of people don't realize more of your genetics comes from your does. Yeah, so. I started watching this, and I'm like, you know, because I had one big protein feeder, corn feeder, water. We threw out a bunch of hay. I sit there and watch this one doe keep every other deer off that whole entire protein feeder. It had four spouts, and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, then, I, you know, our deer are fairly small-bodied, and I started watching on some of those. They couldn't even reach the damn protein feeder, mm-hmm. and they would just kind of nibble up whatever fell on the ground when that doe wasn't standing there. So as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, if we're really concerned about overall herd health and doe health and other deer health, I start what I started doing was uh, instead of just one giant protein feeder, multiple protein feeders at multiple heights. Okay. Make it easier for the young deer to yeah. young deer to eat protein as well as the mature deer. And it being so low, you may scare off a bigger deer from wanting to reach down there and they mm-hmm. may go to the big trough. And we also run ground troughs. Because we really don't have much of a pig problem all the time. There was a mm-hmm. little stint there where we had a huge problem, and I couldn't really feed in troughs. And then when it rains, yes, you get some waste. Right. But that's not a huge issue out here. So we have all these multiple height, you know, protein yeah. sources and all the hay and the corn and everything else. And, you know, just sitting in the stand, watching them and everything else, uh, a lot more of them are getting to eat as opposed to this mature mm-hmm. bitch. Yeah. That's what we call them. Yeah. No, <laughs> Running them all off the protein feeders. Yeah. Now, I will say this, kind of pain in the ass. 
you have instead of just filling up one more. feeder, you have a couple feeders. <laughs> yeah. But I think just watching more deer and getting to eat, I think it's going to pay off better for overall herd health. Yeah, that's and that's something I've never thought of. That's a pretty good point. Just now that I'm thinking about it, same deal. I mean, I've watched fawns and you know first year does they yeah. all eat off the ground. Mm-hmm. Oh, if, especially it seems like the nubbin bucks, like the first year bucks, mm-hmm. uh, or fawns with nubs. Uh, it seems like they just get the because the, the doe, the you know the female does get to run with mama. Yep. But they kick that buck off on his own, and he's just like trying to get something to eat, and they're all just like pawing at him constantly. Exactly. And that's you know, it it was it was that winter, the bad winter, that I really started paying attention because I was out there so much watching them during feeding time. Because if we come we come up late in the evening, we'd just go ahead and sit and stand and watch them wait till they kind of fill filtered off then go out there and continue feeding mm-hmm. that's when i really you've always seen those does stomping around we also watched bucks do the same thing like the does will be over here feeding on the hay or whatever and the bucks will be at the protein feeder same thing the more mature bucks will just stomp off the little bucks and i'm like yep. hey we want him to be good in the future like he's already looking pretty good exactly he's over here just catching the scraps yeah so that that really just making that observation really changed my mind on how we protein feed like right. i said it's more of a pain because you have multiple what i did was i just bought smaller feeders and then i cut the legs at varying heights mm-hmm. just kind of like i said the, the deter maybe allow well i mean some of the fawns couldn't even reach some of the the big protein feeders mm-hmm. and maybe it'll deter the big buck from wanting to try and reach down there maybe he'll just go over here and it seems like a lot more of the herd is getting fed instead yeah. of just like fighting for scraps or coming in later because that's the only time you can get any. Yeah. I've always said the effort you put into it or the results you're going to get. And oh, I, I truly believe it. You know, yeah. just a little bit extra like that, it really goes a long ways. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, we've probably been going pretty decent amount here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of things I feel like people want to know yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's important to cover. So to wrap this up, if you had to choose one thing that you place the most importance on for growing good, mature bucks, what would you make that one thing? Like, what's the top of your list? Age. That's what I figure. <laughs> Age is the biggest thing. Yep. And, you know, just simply because everybody, like, it may be three and it may be a monster, but... But imagine what it'll be in two or three years. Imagine with a little bit of a little bit of time. Yep. Also, another thing that got, a lot of people don't understand or overlook or what have you. Let him get old. Uh, he's also going to breed and pass mm-hmm. along good genetics. That's exactly right. And I, you know, and I, I get it's such a big debate on the age deal, but I get a lot of guys they don't have as much country and the neighbors might shoot everything at yes. once. But if you can get somehow, which they ain't going to do it because <laughs> we've got something <laughs> like that too. But if you can get your neighbors on board yeah, with yeah. the same management program as you, man, you'll see. I mean, yeah, it's a process. It takes years. Yeah, it takes management. Time. It does. But man, if you, you just let those, if you get, let those bucks mature, you, the results, I mean, it just from three to six. Yeah. You know, you might put on 30, 40 inches. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
it is hard when you're hunting small parcels of pass. Maybe it is just a three-year-old and you know the neighbor's going to down it. Yep. But I would urge anybody, if you care, you know, if you want to shoot bigger bucks, go talk to your neighbors, meet up, and, you know, yep. don't be a jerk about it. Just mm-hmm. talk with them. Hey, let's let's try this out. And we've done that with some of ours, you know, and, and all of ours are good for the most part. You know, we we got so much country. I mean, yeah. We really don't yeah. have to worry about it, but like the Rocker B, we're all on the same program, right. yeah. you know what I mean? And But I get, you know, some guys in my only have 100 acres to shoot, and if it goes on the neighbors, well, I might never see it again. Yeah. But, yeah, if you can talk to your neighbors, man, it's – if y'all can all just get on the same program and stick with it for a while, it'll definitely change things. Right. Uh, so, uh, what are y'all's plans for this season? Uh, <laughs> so, well, I don't know. If I'm okay. supposed to say it. Pass. So, yeah. We, <laughs> we actually, I'll tell you. Do you want, uh, which he can cut this off, whatever. Do you want to like mention the name of the ranch again or anything like that? Yeah, we can. So, I mean, do y'all have a website and all that? Mm-hmm. I know we've asked you this before. We got a website. Yeah. Facebook page. What is it? What is it? Uh, bar none hunts. Bar none hunts. Mm-hmm. Just what's the best way to like find that information, the website or Facebook or both? Probably Facebook. We seem to get more on our Facebook page just because everybody uses Facebook now. So bar, bar none. Yeah. Bar none. Bar none hunts. Mm-hmm. And again, Facebook or is that the same as the webpage? It is. Okay. Yeah. If you want any, any information. Yep. Just yep. go to the website or the Facebook page. Check it out. Check it out. We're, I mean, it's, it's a little hidden gem down there or out there. You know, I mean, I, I've always said our deer, it ranks right up there with South Texas. I yeah. mean, it's, well, I mean, if you're, if you're managing, right. It, again, it's not this, it's not that hard. No. Once you get into like habitat approval, that can get a little bit complicated, especially when you're, you're held back by mm-hmm. your rain. Yep. But as far as just getting better deer, it's not that hard. Let them get older. Mm-hmm feed them good get water out there you know it's it's not that hard it's not age being, it's really exactly. not. age being the top of my list as well yeah. like you got to get them let them get old let them breed let them get mature fully mature and then shoot them yep well i mean i guess we'll wrap this up <laughs> <laughs> we've we've <laughs> gone on long enough a while well we appreciate you coming again bar none hunts facebook website go check it out See you guys next time. That wraps it up for this episode. If you have any questions for Jordan or myself or Sir Jonathan over there, please let us know down below. Let us know your thoughts on the episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe.